Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi everyone, this is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today I'm going to discuss uh, White-Red in Dominaria United. As always, the notes are available on patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes if you want to follow along. So White-Red, I think, uh, is kind of a return to form in terms of using 17 lands data. I think that what White-Red is doing is very clear and consistent, such that there's not that much variation between White white and Red decks. There is some, which I'll get to, but I think for the most part, the cards that uh, perform well in aggregate in White-Red will perform well in most decks in White-Red. You still need to, you know, take all the normal things into account in terms of, like, curve and creature density, especially curve because you're in an aggro deck and creature density because uh, White-Red can play a variable number of cards that care about how many creatures you have in play. So you do need to manage all of that stuff pretty closely, so it's not like you should always take the card with the highest win rate, but also I think that, you know, the win rate tells you something meaningful in this archetype in a way that's not necessarily true in some of the kind of more variable or versatile archetypes that can manifest in a lot of different ways and involve a lot of different kinds of splashes and mana bases and synergies and stuff like that. That said, looking at the top commons by uh, Game in Hand win rate, the top three performing uh, overall, our Keldon Strike team take up the shield and are given Cavalier. When you look only at top players, it's pretty different. It's take up the shield, destroy evil, and furious bellow in that order. So ahead of Keldon Strike team and uh, our Givian Cavalier, which is interesting. I don't know if that suggests that the top players are doing less of a go wide thing and more of kind of a traditional like red aggro deck thing where you like play a powerful creature and some tricks or removal and just kind of keep attacking with that and not necessarily. And so they might be looking to have like 14 or 15 creatures instead of like 17 to 19 creatures in their deck. Not totally clear on what's going on there. Also, Sample sizes, I think, are pretty small when you only look at top players. Um, so big grain of sand there, but it is an interesting discrepancy to notice. Also, if I'm analyzing the stats on a deck that I think is fundamentally aggressive, I think it's also worth looking at the top commons by opening hand win rate, which is Argivian Cavalier, Take Up the Shield, Benelish Sleeper, Automatic Librarian, Goblin Picker, in that order. Notably, Take Up the Shield is among the top, in, however you look at it. Take Up the Shield is really strong. It's a card that I have been underplaying throughout the format. I think I'm still working on building a better understanding of which decks want it, how much, when. Uh, but, you know, for to a large extent, I think uh, the answer is if you have um, 
creatures and white mana, then you should probably be interested in take up the shield. The other notable thing uh, that kind of stood out to me in looking at the commons available and kind of mapping out the skeleton of cards that you want to play based on how well they do is that there are kind of more good spells than good creatures for what you're looking for at common, uh, such that I think prioritizing the best creatures where you can makes more sense than kind of like prioritizing the best removal. Like if you have to play Furious Bellow instead of Lightning Strike, you're not really that much worse off. Uh, Both of them can do three to the opponent pretty easily, and uh, both of them are likely to be able to kill a blocker. You're going to, you know, push two extra damage or whatever. If you kill their blocker and hit them with a 2-2, then if you attack with your 2-2, they block and you kill it with Furious Bellow. But you get to scry with the Bellow. I I do think Lightning Strike is a much better card than Furious Bellow, even though notably Furious Bellow strangely has better win rate among top players. Whatever. The point is, I think that especially early on, you don't really know if you're going to be more of the, you know, white mentality go wide deck or the red mentality early pressure kill blockers uh, deck. And when in doubt, having a higher creature count is going to give you a little bit more flexibility uh, in the deck. So that's to say that, you know, I'm inclined to like always take our Givian Cavalier over Citizen's Arrest if I think that I'm going to be white-red. And also possibly just in general. Though to some versions of like blue-white control, uh, that wouldn't be the case. Another thing that stood out is that Automatic Librarian has the second best win rate of any of the three mana common creatures, uh, treating Kelden Strike Team as a five mana. Argivian Cavalier and Kelden Strike Team are kind of like the definitive like creatures for White Red Go Wide. They're like the thing that lets you do the thing that X's trying to do. And then the rest of the creatures are more, you know, normal. Like they're one card for one body. Um, Automatic Librarian is, I think, the kind of card that looks bad. Like we recently had um, the like cat in Streets of New Capenna that wasn't a very good card. But this deck is kind of a combo aggro deck a lot of the time. And, you know, you need to draw the right mix of lands and creatures and pump spells or whatever. And uh, you don't have a ton of ways to, like, mitigate Flood outside of, you know, kicking a Kelden Strike team. So it's not that surprising that Scry 2 plays very powerfully on Automatic Librarian here. And a 3-2 body is not particularly good, but it's not that much worse than your next best options that are stuff like Flowstone Cavalier or Mesa Cavalier, or Flowstone Kavu or Mesa Cavalier, neither of which are particularly exciting cards. So keep an eye out to, you know, be looking to play Automatic Librarian. As for your two-mana commons, the options aren't great. You're looking at Benelish, Sleeper, Goblin Picker, Samite, Herbalist as the top-performing two-mana creatures in a in an archetype that really needs to play a creature on turn two. You're an aggro deck, and you're an aggro deck that wants a lot of bodies in play. If you don't play a creature on turn two, at what point are you realistically getting to critical mass how are you getting enough damage through so that means that you know if you're short on twos you need to really prioritize those cards but more importantly i think the uncommon twos are extremely important for this deck baird 
and Night of Dawn's Light, I think, whatever, the 2-2 First Strike Knight, and Phyrexian Missionary. Any of the uncommon creatures are just a lot better than the uh, common creatures that are available to you. Also, if you can get a rare two drop, even better. But I think that those good uncommon twos are kind of the best way into this archetype, I think. If you have like a way above rate two drop, then you're going to get more mileage out of that in an aggro deck than a control deck. And you're going to have a significantly better than average uh, red-white deck if your two drops are uncommons rather than commons. So as far as, you know, I often talk about when should you draft this archetype and what should, you know, you take as a signal that it's a good time to do it. And I think, you know, if you start by taking like Lightning Strikes, Nargivian Cavaliers, and Keldon Strike teams, that's fine. Those are reasonable cards to the archetype, but you're going to have a much weaker version than someone who started with uh, premium uncommon two drops if you never end up seeing any of those. Whereas if you start by having good two drops then I think a lot of the other cards are a little bit more interchangeable. And if you don't get, you know, the right common three or four drop and you play a different common three or four drop, it's not going to be that big of a difference. So Baird and the other common uncommon twos are, I think, really pivotal for this archetype. On the subject of uncommon cards that cost two mana, I don't exactly know what to make of this, but it was noteworthy to me that uh, Yoshia Declares War has kind of an insane win rate. Re really, really, really small sample size, but winning like third best or something of any of the uncommons in white and red. You do get a body and then kind of like a ping and then an attack for four out of it. And then after you do that, you still have the body. So you are getting something i mean it's it's it doesn't seem like a horrible card i i was surprised by the cards that it was doing better than but i guess keep an eye out for yoshi declares war in white red i don't know uh which other artifacts if any you need to make it good but the stats suggest that there's something good going on there so let's see, I talked about how you can kind of play like the go wide game or you can play the like uh, high power creatures plus removal game. I think that it's notable that the evasive options in white and red are quite bad. So you're not really going to be playing the finish your opponent off with flyers game, which kind of points to what I had already said. You want to play one of these other games instead. Uh, either have a lot of removal so that uh, your creatures can keep getting through as your way to finish the game or expect that your opponent's going to play some blockers and the way that you're going to beat that is just going really wide and then ideally having like a heroic charge or some other thing to pump up your team um, or maybe just go so 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 wide that you know they have a blocker or two and those things eat some of your guys but your other guys get through and push enough damage. So this is just to say there's like a third option that's often part of the way that white and red can get things done that is uh, less available than usual here just because the flying creatures aren't very good. 
There are a few exceptions, especially at higher rarity, but for the most part, that's not what you should be planning on. It's also like worth noting that like a go wide white red deck would in general benefit a lot from having a one drop. And this format is pretty bad at offering that to you. I guess that means that Phoenix Chick is kind of something special. I suppose there's the Branch Rider, but I don't think that's very good when you can't kick it. Basically, this feels like a deck that would really like to start with a one drop and mostly can't, which I don't know that there's a lot you can do about that. I guess it's just to say two drops are that much more important. And if you do have an option for a reasonable one, consider taking advantage of that, especially if you're trying to play Argivian Phalanx. I mentioned before, sometimes you're going to be more red aligned, sometimes more white aligned in terms of whether you are going wide and how wide you're going, and then whether you want heroic charge and Argivian Phalanx or whether you don't. Uh, I often get questions about numbers so that you know when to do what. I do think that, you know, the kind of more red focused like version should probably be looking at 14 to 15 creatures, maybe 16 and the uh, more white-focused version should be looking at like 17-plus creatures, counting Captain's Call as a creature, and then as many things that make multiple creatures in a single card as possible to go along with that. These are rough guidelines, but I think that that's kind of a reasonable range to be looking for. A note on Argivian Phalanx. Keldon Strike Team gives... All creatures that came into play this turn haste, not just itself and its tokens. That applies to creatures that you play before or after Keldon Strike Team. So you can, if you have six mana, uh, two other creatures in play, kick a Keldon Strike Team and then play a Phalanx for one mana. And all of that will have haste, which is a pretty good play to look for. I guess I, I should talk a little bit about the two mana creatures that are available. Benelish Sleeper is the most damage that you can get out of your two, which is going to be especially valuable in the red version of the deck where you want to play a high power two, two drop and then kill blockers. When I say red here, I don't really mean more of your cards are red. I just mean threat into removal rather than like go wide. So Benelish Sleeper is the way that you can push the most damage out of uh, the like creature removal plan, which is really important there. Goblin Picker is probably better in the go-wide deck because you're going to get spots with that deck where you're in the like board stall phase of the game where your opponents may be like too low on life and you're a little too wide so they can't really afford to tap a creature to attack you. But they have bigger creatures and you're not wide enough. So if you attack, you lose a creature and don't push enough damage to justify attacking. So you end up just kind of like hanging out until you can find a way to get through. And uh, Goblin Picker can do some really good work in those kind of board stalls that that deck can get into in terms of finding more creatures or more pump spells to make that happen. And then Samite Herbalist is basically just how good that is as a function of how much enlist you have. It's very good to enlist Samite Herbalist. I think Samite Herbalist is a little bit better than it looks. Uh, its trigger is very powerful. Gain a life and scry is like those both sound like tiny effects, but together it's pretty significant. Then you also have the two mana enlist can sack to kill an artifact. 
which is totally serviceable, especially uh, in the more like red version, especially if you have Samite herbalists, maybe if you're doing more other enlist stuff. And amplifier, again, this is better if you have more uh, spells. So presumably fewer creatures, so presumably less the go wide strategy. And then it also doesn't really work with like citizens arrests. You need to be careful that you're the right version before playing amplifier. I think for the most part, it's not what you're looking for, but I could see it being better than uh, like the root water tutu that kicks for a green, which is kind of bottom of the barrel as far as two drops go. I guess goblin picker is the best two drop uh, relatively speaking for go wide and like herbalist if you're enlisting a lot uh sleeper if you're kind of killing their stuff herbalist is more similar to sleeper than picker in terms of what kind of deck wants it you do one less damage but you gain a life and you get to scry if you just you know kill kill a blocker and that lets you attack with herbalist and then of course again it's better the fewer of any of these you can play if you have uh more good uncommon two drops but it's also you know you really want uh, I would say between six and eight two drops, since you don't have ones and you really want to start with a two, you're unlikely to see that many good two mana uncommon creatures. So you're going to need to play some of the two mana common ones. All right. I think that covers uh, my notes and overview. So I'm going to turn this over to chat for questions. So any questions you have, uh, please ask now. While people are thinking about those, uh, I want to thank the newest patrons of the podcast at patreon.com slash drafting archetypes. Thank you to Gorm, Newbie Jailer, and Shin Hung on your becoming patrons of the podcast. Really appreciate it. And okay, questions. What are your feelings on Twinferno? I think Twinferno is mostly for the green-red trick stack. I don't think it has a place in most, if any, white-red decks. You're not very high on really high-power creatures. Uh, you're not playing a lot of pump spells that give you high-power creatures. Um, you're not really going to get the most out of that card in this archetype and it's not really helping you with your game plan in general. You said to prioritize good creatures over good spells. Which common creatures should you take over premium spells like take up the shield and destroy evil, assuming it's early in the draft? I think you should probably take Cavalier and Strike Team over Lightning Strike and Destroy Evil uh, if you know that you're white-red. Then, of course, the like good uncommons over uncommon and common removal. There really aren't that many premium common creatures, which is why you need to prioritize them so highly. If you are low on two mana creatures, then you might need to take a sleeper or a picker over a removal spell. Uh, I would only do that if I were pretty desperate. It really is mostly just Cavalier and Strike Team that are, like, to my mind, really premium creatures. There are several high mana commons that seem like they could be good fits. Captain's Call, 3-4 tr uh, Trample, Griffin... Uh, three, four trample, griffin, outrider. Yeah, I agree. There are more four and five mana cards than you want. I think that you should never prioritize any of them, but it's okay to play a few of them. Obviously, if you're 
more in the go wide space, captain's call is going to get a lot better than if you're less there. If you're more actively doing enlist stuff, so like if you're playing Samite Herbalists anyway, then the 3-4 Trample is better than if it isn't. Uh, Outrider is better if you're not going wide than if you are, but it's kind of generically fine. I think Griffin is also kind of generically fine. Both are like not very good, but these are the cards that are going to like round out your deck once you have like, you know, play your two and three mana creatures over them for the most part, and then play four and fives to get up to like the creature count that you need essentially. Oh, there was another thing that doesn't directly tie into this that I wanted to talk about that I forgot to get to, which is people who have watched me probably know that I don't draft white-red very much. Partially, that's just my playstyle. I generally prefer uh, more controlling less all-in aggro decks. But the other concern that I have with white-red is that it doesn't pivot well. You don't have a lot of off-ramps. Part of that is you don't want non-basic lands, and it's just a lot easier for you to pivot and take advantage of like random good cards that you could see that you can potentially splash or whatever if you're prioritizing non-basic lands. But also, the cards that matter most to you are just not the cards that are best in other decks. You know, like if you're taking or giving Cavalier and Strike team over uh, Destroy Evil and Lightning Strike, and then you want to pivot into some other deck, you have taken a weaker common in your color over a stronger common in your color in the context of whatever else you would become for the most part. Uh, also, like, white-black is strategically pretty similar to this. Theoretically, white-green can be similar. Theoretically, red-black can be similar. But I think both of those decks, both of those are like not very strong, not very common, not something you're really going to be wanting to or looking to pivot into. So I think that you get kind of stuck where you're just like a little bit on rails and a little bit just like hoping that it's there if you move in, if you like go into red and white early and it can be hard to get into late again because it just kind of wants different things than other decks do so like the last time that i drafted white red it was uh when i was trying to draft white blue and blue wasn't open and uh i got like two Kelden strike teams at the very end of the pack telling me that white red was really really wide open which was enough to make me do it and it worked out well but i think it's a dicey archetype to uh, just kind of commit too early just because of how uh, doing its own thing it is. I think, you know, that's very much uh, speaking about my perspective and the way that I draft. I think that, you know, if you are generally an aggro player, there are probably more ways to uh, draft flexibly such that you are, you know, oh, I'm going to be a red aggro deck. Maybe I'm red-blue, maybe I'm red-green, maybe I'm red-white. All of those are reasonable. And even if Keldon Strike team might be better if I end up red-white, I'm going to take Lightning Strike early because it's good in any of those. And then if the Keldon Strike team wheels, then I got a really high-value card late and I can commit to red-white. I think there is an approach to just kind of like drafting flexibly in an aggressive-minded way. But that is pretty different from how I draft. So word of caution, if you are typically a 
more mid-range player in this format that it can be hard to dabble in white-red. Okay, back to questions. What are your thoughts on Love Song of Night and Day? I know it performs well in white-red, but anecdotally, I have found it pretty low impact in the Boros decks I've drafted. I think that it is one of the better ways to get a flyer, which is pretty nice. I think it's a lot stronger when you have uh, two drops that you can play it on curve and have another thing to pump. And then, of course, the better your two drop takes advantage of a plus one, plus one counter, the more meaningful that is. So it's way better if you're putting a counter on uh, something like on one of the good rares or uncommons, basically. Like if you have Baird and now you put a counter on something and that means you're making one one every turn, or if you have a 2 2 first strike knight and now you have a 3 3 first strike, that's going to be a lot more impactful than if you have a 3 3 goblin picker. Or if you have like a guardian of New Banalia, putting a plus one plus one counter on that is enormous. So you want to pay attention to the keywords on your two mana creatures as a reasonable indicator of how much more value you're getting out of a uh, love song of night and day than average. But overall, I would say, you know, the three mana options aren't very strong and you do want to play threes. So like in a lot of ways, it's competing with something like Mesa Cavalier and it's a much stronger card than Mesa Cavalier. Instead of getting a two one flyer and two life, you're getting a 2-2 two, two flyer and another plus one plus one counter, which is just much better than two life. How much more do you want Griffin once you have a couple of captain's calls? They synergize but compete at four. Uh, I think you would rather have Keldon Strike Team as like that kind of synergistic follow-up to the Griffin, of course, since then you have a curve of four into five and you're still getting your plus three plus three and like the Strike Team is a better card than the captain's call. I think, you know, in general, the more creatures you have, the the more cards you have that make multiple creatures, the better the Griffin is. Uh, but I still think that, you know, no matter what, the Griffin is kind of a second rate, maybe third rate uh, creature in white-red, just because you shouldn't be, like, going out of your way to find four mana creatures. What's the balance of go-wide creatures like Argivian Cavalier to go-wide payoffs, such as Argivian Phalanx and Heroic Charge? Prioritize the enablers over the payoffs, because... Uh, they're going to work on their own and the payoffs won't. Um, and then don't think about it so much as like how to balance is just like uh, max enablers. And then if you have enough enablers, pay, play the payoffs. Then the question is what's enough enablers? And as much a function of like general creature count as it is number of enablers, like count enablers is like two and a there's like one and a half to two creatures, I guess, basically, depending on what they are. Um, when figuring out if you want Phalanx in charge, and then also just think about like what your curve and how they fit into the uh, like strategy that you see your deck playing. Like, are do your creatures trade off much or not? I think that you know Phalanx and Heroic Charge want to go in the same deck, but they're kind of competing for the same role. They're cards that are only good if you have a wide board. So you don't want to have like too many of them total. How many strike team is too many? I'm not sure if that's a thing. Like you get to the point where the extra ones aren't quite as good as the previous ones. And you get to the point where you start casting some of them for three mana, uh, which isn't ideal, but it's not that bad. And it means that like you are reliably doing the thing late and strike team followed by another strike team can be pretty backbreaking. 
So uh, I think that, you know, like I wouldn't start to worry about it until I had like five or so. Next up, I saw that the black jewels have a really high win rate at top player in white red. Uh, what do you think that's for? Why not the blue duels with Raph and Belmore? I would guess it's because the top players are not playing the black duels very often. Uh, it would only be if you have something really, really good to um, do with them. And that would be, I think, specifically kicking Phyrexian Missionary or more importantly, kicking Archangel of Wrath. I think the correlation with Archangel of Wrath in particular is likely to uh, push its win rate up pretty high. Uh, given how much of a bomb that card is. When do you use chapter one on Love Song? So my general answer to that is when you're on the play and your opponent didn't play a two, so that they're very likely to need to discard, with the note that even when you do that, you are giving up two damage because you're like getting your creature and your counter later two or so damage. So you still kind of want to be careful about it. I would note, though, that Chapter one is particularly good in the go wide deck because uh, more cards means more creatures, more synergy um, with like, you know, you want a big game. Both players having more cards makes the game bigger. So I think that if you are like a heroic charge deck, you are particularly interested in chapter one of Love Song. And I think that that's like a reasonable thing to be thinking about when drafting and playing Love Song that I hadn't really considered until you, until talking about it now. Do you think it's worthwhile to play Molten Monstrosity as a curve topper? I highly doubt it. You're very unlikely to get it down particularly early, and having a creature that you can't play makes a lot of your stuff worse. There is a chance that you could play it in some very enlist-heavy versions of the deck, but for the most part, I don't think this is the archetype that's looking for Molten Monstrosity, which I think doesn't even perform especially well in most of the color pairs, in most of the decks where it's better. Three to four sources of off-color worth uh, splashing Strength of the Coalition, Warlord's Frenzy, Aaron, Belmore, are the tap lands going to cost more than they're worth? So I'm assuming that we're suggesting that the three to four sources are coming almost, if not entirely, from tap lands. Um, I think the fact that there aren't ones makes the tap lands hurt a lot less than they would if the format had good ones available. The ceiling on, like, Balmor is a lot higher than the ceiling on Aaron, for example. So I'd be a lot more inclined to splash Balmor than Aaron. I would still need to make sure that my deck was particularly good at triggering Balmor. Balmor's in this kind of weird spot in terms of being like between the red deck that wants more spells and the white deck that wants more creatures. Because uh, you want to be like go wide, but you also want to have things that trigger it. So if you're going to play Balmor, note that it's going to work particularly well with like Captain's Call. Strength of the Coalition is an interesting one because, you know, something like Warlord's Frenzy you can cast if you don't have the black kicker and then it's just nice if you do whereas the base on that is green and then it's really strong if you can uh cast it kicked if you're going wide i think i would not be inclined to splash I, th I think i'm not inclined to splash belmore uh if i'm playing warlord's friends if i'm interested in warlord's frenzy i think that i would generally play my black tap lands to be able to kick it if I had them and it, but I think that 
Heroic Charge is appreciably better than Lord's Frenzy in White-Red most of the time. I think Balmor is a pretty legitimate splash, but I'm going to be trying to prioritize Goblin Picker and Automatic Librarian more than I normally would if I'm trying to splash a card that actually requires another color of mana. And then Strength of the Coalition, I think, is weaker than Balmor, but might exist in a similar space. I'm not really sure about that one. Uh, general thoughts on Balduvian Berserker, situationally playable or not. Uh, so that's the 1-3 in list that uh, does damage equal to its power when it dies. I think that card is at its best in red-black. Uh, I think red-black is the place where it's like very good, and that's because red-black is going to be able to sacrifice it on command to get damage out of it. I think, and uh, note that it's particularly good with Fraxian Warhorse because of the ability to sack other creatures to the Warhorse, enlist the Warhorse to get a very powerful Berserker, attack with that, and then sack the Berserker to the Warhorse to throw it for double damage, basically. I think in white-red, it's a playable three. Like, I don't think that it's going to be a lot worse than Flowstone Tabu most of the time, but it's nothing special. Berserker also good with Infusion. I suppose there's some synergy there. The problem is, like, if you're trying to take advantage of the fact that it's getting the minus two so that it, like, dies on command, you still need, like, a spot where they were trying to, like, chump it or something, like, blocking it and not killing it. So it's not, you know, like, it would be significantly more of a combo if it were, like, plus three, minus three. Every now and then you'll get to do something cute with that, but I think that, like, the exact interaction you want is a little too narrowed for me to really want to like build around. Do you ever want equipment? Maybe for Baird. I think I would need multiple Bairds. So I don't think you ever want Axe. Uh, I think that there aren't enough keywords among your creatures in general for uh, plus two plus O oh to be worth what you want to get out of it, and it also cuts into your ability to go wide. As for the uncommon equipment that does really good things on uh, legendary creatures, I think there's kind of a sub-archetype that uses that card if you have a bunch of legendary creatures, and Baird is kind of among the best of them, because then you're getting your Baird triggers automatically, and it's a legend for the special perks. I have not personally tried playing it, I've played against it where it was uh, reasonable. I can't think of other equipment. Um, I, I think the uncommon is like, yes, if you don't have to go out of your way to get like six plus legendary creatures, you can consider it. Uh, don't play the axe and ask specifically if there's another piece of equipment I'm forgetting about. Uh, suggested that the weather light might be worth talking about. Theoretically, the Weatherlight can take advantage of making a lot of tokens because more things are dying. Uh, I think it's a trap. I think that the Weatherlight is horrible to draw. So the Weatherlight's the mythic that scries when things die, and then when like four or five things have died, it becomes a 5-5 five, five flyer. It's very slow to turn on and very easily dealt with when it does turn on. A format with Destroy Evil and Talarian Geyser is very hostile to the payoff that you get. I am not really a believer. I'm more on the side that you should never put the Weatherlight in a deck. Why is the Crusher so much worse than the other common twos? 
I, I don't think it is that much worse than the other common twos. I think it's pretty comparable. If it has appreciably worse stats, I... So I, I think that it is weaker than Sleeper, Picker, and Herbalist. I think that it doesn't attack as well on its own as Sleeper and Herbalist, and like Picker's ability matters more than Steel Crusher's. And so then the reason it would have appreciably worse stats is just that it might be just that important how good your two is. But as far as like the gap between having a two and not having a two is so big that I think, you know, you should play Steel Crusher over like not playing a two if it means that you would, you know, only have, you know, one last two in your deck for most numbers of how many twos you would have. So if Steel Crusher has worse stats, I think that's just an expression of how important playing a good two is. But it's still so much more important to play a two than not play a two that I think you should put steel pressure in your deck over not most of the time. Question about Walking Bulwark, which is the highest rated uncommon. I saw that also. It's interesting because it doesn't really seem to be exactly about uh, Chaplain in that Chaplain doesn't do especially well in White Red and like the Chaplain friends, like... Uh, Shieldwall Sentinel doesn't do especially well at common, unlike usual. So it might be about one mana plays are just that important. So it's like a playable one drop and, you know, lets you like Argivian Phalanx earlier and stuff like that. And then the 3-3 three, three haste mode, uh, like, you know, the ability to just like play it for three mana where you play it and activate it and attack with it is really at its best in white red. So it's possible that Bulwark is generally pretty good in white red but also i think the sample size on bulwark is like much smaller than the sample size on the other good uncommons in white red so big grain of salt there but uh it does make some amount of sense that uh some of the white red decks could just be that into having like a playable one mana creature obviously you don't get a lot of other synergies out of it since there are not a lot of i mean there are no red walls and not a lot of uh white walls that you're looking to play with it Hammerhand thoughts. My guess is no, because of it not being a creature or real removal spell, and you don't have like heroic triggers or anything. That's the kind of card that, you know, I I know some dedicated aggro players are into. Uh and I could imagine that it's better than I think, but it doesn't look like where I'd want to be here. Uh, how much trouble are you in without Heroic Charge? I don't think you're in that much trouble without Heroic Charge. I think that you should... Some versions of the deck are a lot more into Heroic Charge than others. I think if you're like very on the go-wide side and you have like a lot of token makers and not a lot of removal, uh, you might struggle with you know your opponent playing some reasonable bodies and you not being able to find an attack if you don't have Heroic Charge. But you can just play a few more removal spells and try to be more of like a traditional aggro deck rather than like a go wide aggro deck if you don't have it. And I think that that's a fine like way to go. How competitive is white red when a domain deck starts turning out big creatures on turn four? Competitive. I mean, like if they didn't do anything until turn four and then you have a destroy evil for their first big creature, they're if, you know, there's a good chance they've lost a significant portion of their life total and you're way ahead on board. 
then if they play their second creature on turn five after you killed their first creature and maybe, you know, double spelled that turn because you used to destroy evil and played another two drop, then they play like some big creature and you uh, like play a heroic charge. They're basically dead, um, especially if you were on the play. I mean, you know, obviously, like if you have a bad draw and they're playing a big creature on turn four after having also played other creatures on turn two and three, then they're probably going to beat you. But like, uh, if the question is like, is white red at a giant disadvantage to domain decks? I don't think the answer is yes. Uh, what's my opinion of uh, Thrill in Boros? I think it's pretty bad. You're not looking to spend two mana early in the game. And while I mentioned that you're kind of like a combo aggro deck so like finding the right pieces matters and like you can flat out or draw the wrong cards and it can mitigate that i think that you're you don't want to spend the mana on it early and then having that in your hand instead of something else is too likely to mess up your curve so i i don't think that it's a card that i'd be looking for i think uh as someone else suggested trying to smooth your draws with uh automatic librarian or goblin picker is a much better way to go uh, in particular, if you have been coming up on Thrill, I would recommend uh, just trying to prioritize Goblet Picker instead. All right, I think that's going to do it for uh, this week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. A special, especially thank you, as always, to uh, those of you who tuned in live and asked questions to help make sure I covered everything we could find to cover. I'll be back next week uh, again topic to be determined by poll of the patrons so thanks and i'll see you then Bye.